Hi, it's uh, Wednesday, and I want to do another piece on the of uh, for the Seder. Some ideas in the Seder. This again is being very generously sponsored by the Gluck family, Babe Gluck. They're in Israel, even his family, <coughs> for Pesach. Asked them today where they are. They're going to the Rizal Mikvah and all that. And uh, it's just cute. I remembered, but not 100% accurately. Yeah, you know, I said I wrote to him. I said, you know, the Rizal didn't use the Rizal Mikvah. What do you mean? And I remember, just, you know, I don't remember from where, that the Ari himself had a bad hernia, and his mother told him he shouldn't go in the mikvah, and he held that, you know, kibbutz of aim, you know, trumps uh, going to the mikvah. But I couldn't remember exactly where it is. And uh, anyway, I had to consult my Kabbalah expert here in Baltimore, who knows everything, and connected with that, Noah Shavrik, and he found a one, two, three, as all the sources. <laughs> So, is in the winter. The Reed mother t- told him not to go in the winter. That seems to be the story. Um, although, I tell you the truth, I've been in the Reed's house in the summer, and it's still pretty cold. But uh, it's not as bad as going in the winter. But anyway, be that as it may, let's get right down to business. I can't use material from old, because I know that uh, the Glucks and others have listened to the old stuff. So, I'll share with you some ideas that I had for this year new. And uh, I'm a classicist, so all these new Agudas just don't work for me. I don't know why I bought the new Sternbuck one. It just didn't work for me. But uh, the golden oldies, I like, you know, the Barbanel and especially uh, Fleckless. You know, I'm into his Agada. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Chuva Miyava and, uh, and the Chido. So anyway, I'll get right to it. It's pretty famous. I think the Chido mentions it in his Agada. That when it says uh, that he noticed that all the people, uh, Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi Lezim, and Azari, and so forth, are all descended from people who either Kohanim, Levim, or Gerim. So in other words, they, their ancestors didn't go to uh, slavery in Egypt. And I think, if I understand him right, the Shuv Miyava, one of the two, says, the whole B'Shad of Kolam Marbala, Sabri, Sisnes Raya, but he's Meshubach, why is it Meshubach? It's Meshubach because this refers to the Kohanim, Levim, and the Gerim, their descendants. It's praiseworthy because they themselves, you could say, could be excused from doing it. One might think, why should they have to talk about the Yitzhak Mitzrayim? They or their ancestors were not enslaved. Therefore, the Haggadah says, It's a mitzvah for them also to recite the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Why? So here's something profound. Um, Number one, consider this well. Do you think everybody else would have sunk in the 50th Shah of Tumah and the Levine would not have been affected? Right? If the Jews would have hit the 50th level of Tumult, would there ever even be Gerim? So the Levim and the Gerim are absolutely affected by the story of the fact of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Maybe their parents weren't the slaved ones, but they are directly affected because there wouldn't be no Levim. The Levim would have gone down the tubes in terms of assimilation with everybody else if the Gans Claw Yisrael other than them was hitting the 50th Shar Tumult. And number two, True, they were not enslaved, but they were trapped in Egypt. They were not allowed to leave the country. Would they have even gotten out if not for the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? So they, again, they're affected by the whole story, even though their ancestors themselves weren't part of the Sheba directly. They weren't part of the Avodah's Parah. But they're totally in there. Not, even if they wouldn't be themselves, but they would be in Mitzrayim. 
and therefore they would never get a gula. Thus far is from the Chuvmiyavah and the Chidah. But me, myself, and I would answer the following reason. Why would the Levim, especially, and the Kohanim, I'm talking about uh, Blazman Azari was a Kohen, and Reb Tarfon was a Kohen, I believe Reb Shul was a Levi, and if you if you count them all up, I don't have the Chidah I got in front of me, but, you know, all all, all of them were either Kohanim, Levim, or Gerim. Rabbi Kiva, of course, is a Ger. You know, the Rambam says in the Hakdamba to the Mishnah Torah that Rabbi Kiva's father was a Ger, Tzedek, or a Ger. Um, so I myself would answer like this, based on what I read to you yesterday. If you go with the Abarbanel's Mahalach, that the cause of the Shiva Mitzrayim, the big sin that led to it, even though it was predicted before him, but the sin that led to it was the sale of Yosef. So let's put it this way. The ancestor of the Levium played a pretty doggone prominent role in the mistreatment of Joseph, which was the cause, according to the Barbanel, of the whole slavery in the first place. So the story of the Jews in Egypt being enslaved is not exactly unconnected to the tribe of Levi. In fact, it's a little bit unusual. If you go with this Mahalach, so the Jews ended up suffering because of their mistreatment of Yosef. And as the Abarbanel pointed out, even Yosef was part of that. And you and I know Shimon and Levi were the main culprits in taking down Yosef. We know the story of Shimon and Levi. And Levi got off being a slave. They were not slaves. So it's a little bit funny. So if I was a Levi, or a descendant of a Levi, or a Kohen, which I happen to be, then... The story of what happened to the rest of Kali Throat is all but my fault. And therefore, I'm interested. Because we're intimately connected with it. Now, it says, This is the Chuv Miyava, Fleckless. Usually, we translate it. They talked about the story all night. They talked about the story all night. But he translates it differently because he has, the Chiyu has a fine sense of language. You could learn it like this. Again, they were retelling the story of the Exodus of Egypt, and they were discussing specifically the events of that night of Osalaila. Namely, the night of the Seder and the night of the killing of the firstborn. And the shot would be, Zok even that limited topic lasted until Kriya Shemash Shachras. So it gives you an idea how wide the story of the Yisidus Mitzrayim is. It's so big that even those who concentrated their stories, not on the Shibud, not on the Avodas Perech, not on all that stuff, but simply on the events of Osalayla, the Makas Bechoros, the first Seder, the surrender of Pharaoh, the exodus of the Jews so fast they didn't have time to make the matzah. Just talking about those Nakudos was up to all, was all night, right? Now, on the other hand, this let me starting to think. I would say that they didn't talk about the suffering of the slaves in Egypt, precisely as we said before, because it wasn't their ancestors, so they didn't feel it in their bones. I'm speaking now from the perspective of someone who's a son, for example, Holocaust survivors. The people in the world don't feel it the same way. Instead, 
in Bnei Brak, they talked about the night of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which their ancestors did experience, and which they could get passionate about. The Kohanim and Levim, for example, were part of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The Kohanim and Levim, you know, I mean, you know what I mean, the Levim, and later on the Kohanim branched off of them. They were, at the first Seder, they did experience the Makas Bechoros and all that. They did experience, obviously, departing Egypt. So that's something they could get passionate about because they fell into the kish because the Mamash happened to their Zadis. But the slavery and all the rest of it was not part of this thing that happened to them. This led me to think that that's probably why Rabbi Gamliel was not there and why he did his own Seder. This has always been a famous question in all the people who study the Haggadah. We have, in our Haggadah, as you know, a story about Maisa B'nei Brak, which is not repeated anywhere else in rabbinic literature. It's not in Mishnayis, it's not in the Gemara, it's not in Tosefta, and so forth. Now, I think, Levi Emerly, that they must have taken it from some rabbinical source. It's not possible that, uh, you know, the guy who made the Haggadah simply made I don't mean made it up, but I mean composed it. Listen, it's possible. It's possible. But I doubt it. So much of the Haggadah shall paste that we have is strung together passages from the rabbinic literature, from Shas, let's say, that this seems to be part of it also. And the fact that we don't have an exact source simply means it's one of those pieces of the rabbinic literature which has not survived the final cuts. Not everything got into the Mishnayis and into Brises and all the rest. It could be like a Brisa, you might say. You know? And... You know, when it comes to prices, we don't know what's in there. If the Gemara happens to discuss one, we know it. But it's no book it's in. So it's not like a Mishnah where you can say the entire collection of Mishnahs is in a single book. Or the Tosefta or the Medosh Halacha. So leave that as it is. So we have one account that is famous because it's in the Haggadah. The story of the five Chachamim and B'nai Brak. There is in the rabbinical literature a so- something of a parallel but different account. And that's in the Tosefta, in Pesachim, where it says, Maisa Rabbi Gamliel was a Kenim, showing Mesubim based Baisas Benzun Belud. So here, it wasn't those five rabbis, but it was Rabbi Gamliel and the Zakanim, which may include those five rabbis or not. And it wasn't in B'nai Brak, but it was in Lud. And it wasn't by Rabbi Kiba, it was by a guy named Baisas Benzonin, who was a millionaire. He's actually mentioned elsewhere. So, you might say this was Ramagomiel's Pesach Hotel. Some rich guy invited him. And the Tosefta says that they were Oisik Behilchis Pesach Ad Krosagever until morning. When they heard the cockadoodle do, then they went to go Damshach. They went to the base Medish. So it sounds like a very similar account to the story in Bnei Brak, with, of course, Mutatis Mutandis with the differences of the details. If you're a brisker and you like the Beis Halevi, I know the Glucks are into the Beis Halevi, so the briskers talk about Hil- the fact they learned Hilchus Pesach instead of Sipri Yitzitz Rayim, etc., etc., etc. But I, I personally don't buy into that. Uh, I don't like that mahal. Um, I think they're talking about the same basic account, and I'm going to tell you the way I understand it, at least this year. So we have, and I think, since they're all contemporaries, you know and I know the story that was deposed from being a Nasi and Belazim and Azari, who's one of the five rabbis in B'nai Brak, was put in his place, and then they worked it out that they should switch off each week, Shabbat Shalmi, and so forth. So we're talking about contemporaries. And it seems to me 
that uh, you have two two seders going on at the same time, one in Baltimore, one in New York, or one in Benny Brock and one in in in, in Lude. The question is, why were they two separate seders? Why did they all get together for one? Now you can always say like this: Who says you have to get together for one? On the other hand, it is remarkable that they all got together for one, which is something you usually don't see. I mean, you didn't have a seder with Rav Chaim Kanievsky, plus you know the Ger Rebbe at the same place, plus the Belzer Rebbe, for example, plus I don't know the Rashiva with a Chevron. You, you know what I mean? Each one has his own seder. Each one does it his way. For some reason, in this particular case. All the five rabbis got together. That's a cause for speculation among the commentaries of Haggadah. I've spoken about it in the past and given my take on it, you know, maybe to come back from Rome and all that. But be that as it may, for some reason, they all got together in one place, Rabbi Kiva's place, but Rabbi Gamliel didn't. I want to suggest, based on this fleckle, based on this Chumayabha, that the following is the scenario. The, sto- the, the, the Seder conducted Rabbi Kiva, because they were all in B'nai Brock, so Rabbi Kiva was the host, he was rubbed there. So, the Seder in B'nai Brock had one character, and the Seder by Rabbi Gamaliel and Lud had a different character. The Seder in B'nai Brock, as we just said, was Osa Laila, was talking about the events of that night, as the Chubmi Abba says in his Agoda, and the events of that night have specifically to do with the Makas Bechoros, and the Karm Pesach on the first Seder, and so forth. Masha'en Cain, Rabbi Gamaliel, in his Seder, talked about the Avodah's Perech and the Shibud and all that business. So, I'll start reading again. I would say they didn't talk about the suffering of the slaves in Egypt, in Bnei Brak, because it wasn't their ancestors, so they didn't feel it in their bones. Instead, they talked about the night of the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, which their ancestors did um, experience, and which they could get passionate about. That's probably why Ramagamliel wasn't there, and why Ramagamliel had his own Seder. Ramagamliel was from a tribe that was enslaved, because he was a Nasi, and he came, it's not clear, either from Yehuda ben Yamad or from Yaman Yehuda. But either way, those tribes were enslaved. And in Rabbi Gamliel's Seder, they did indeed go into the stories of the tortures of the slaves. Aye, you'll say, but wait a minute, cats. It says, They discussed Hilchus Pesach and not the story. I will answer, What were the Hilchus Pesach he discussed all night? It was his statement which he obviously had to defend. What halachic statement do we have in the Haggadah? Halachic statement. From Gamliel, the answer is that it is essential to mention three things at the Seder, otherwise you haven't fulfilled your obligation. You know that. Now, wait a minute. Consider well. What are those three things? The three things cons- include two things from the night of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, the Karm Pesach and the Matzah, but it also includes the moror, which was not from that miraculous night, but was from the bitter slavery before that. Aha. Uh-huh. You understand? So, I would say, not like you guys are doing it, but in back, you're only doing two things. You're talking about Pesach and, 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 and Matzah, you know, the nice part of the story. No, you've got to talk about the moror also. Not to discuss this aspect even if your ancestors weren't enslaved, is highly inadequate, according to Gamliel, and he therefore disapproved of how the other rabbis in Bnei Brak conducted their Seder, declaring that in skipping the Moror narrative, they had not fulfilled their obligations. you got to say, 
Chayim Ba'avodah Kasha. And you can be doggone sure if it was Ramagamliel of all people Seder, that he didn't simply say, oh, you know, Ba'imoros Chayim Ba'avodah Kasha, but give examples. And then you go into all the business about the babies and the bricks and, the, so, you know, all the, the massacres and all this kind of junk. And, uh, you know, it's a different Seder. It's, it's, it's somewhat similar, I would say, to um, something I know happens, maybe happen in your family, and that is those people who had uh, parents or grandparents uh, alive who were in the war. Now, it's already there 2022. My folks are gone, and a lot of the survivors are no longer here. Some are, but they're very old, of course. Uh, but if you grew up in my generation, there are many families where when they talk about Davodas Perch and Mitzrayim and all the rest of it, the father or the mother, the grandfather, grandmother would then say like this, you want to know Davodas Perch? I was in Auschwitz. I was in Dachau. I was in the Warsaw Ghetto. I was in this. I was in that. And I can tell you stories that I saw by Moenai. Not a story from the Agoda, but I saw myself. And you want to talk about Avodas Perech, and you want to talk about killing the babies and all the rest of it, and it's the truth. And it's totally appropriate to do that at the Seder. I don't hold that taking away from the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, but rather it brought it, you know, which I say, um, into into flesh. Now, someone else might say, well, you know, talking about Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, and I would say to that person, you simply have no sensitivity to what the Shoah, the Holocaust is about, in our own time. <clears throat> and I think, this is what I mean when I say, that people who don't have that uh, experience in their family, so they can't relate to it. The same way that Rabbi Akiva and the others couldn't relate. I mean, of course everybody's horrified by the Holocaust. I get it. But on the other hand, it ain't the same thing. It ain't the same thing. So this led me to uh, to speculate as follows. Um, you know, the, the the three reasons suggested by Hazal, as I said a number of times already this year, as to why the Jews got out early, uh, are as follows. Rav and Shmuel say it was Koshi Ashi, but And Rabbi Kiva says it was Noshim Sikonios. So Rav and Shmuel say that if you want to know why the Jews got out early, it was because either Koshi Ashibud, the intensity of the slavery itself, the backbreaking labor, the sadism, and the tsar that they imposed on the slaves was so extreme, and the work was so hard that they packed all you know four hundred years into half that time. Uh, or the Rebuchlusia, the fact that the Jews had an unusually big population boom, meant that, as I said the other day, you know, if a million, if half a million people were supposed to be slaves for four hundred years, then a million people were slaves for two hundred years. You pack in the same number of, uh, you know, like a lawyer would say, billable hours, you know, slavable hours. Um, that's from Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva says it was the Nashim Zikonios. Ordinarily, when I come, you know, I've this is an old word. Whenever I, in previous years, consider this phenomenon of the three opinions suggested by the Chazal, by Rav Shmuel, and who are Amoras and Rabbi Kiva. So usually I say, no, it was due to the fact, no one can say, that why would Rabbi Kiva say it was a close Nashim Sikonius? He had his remarkable wife, Rachel. We all know the story of Rabbi Kiva's wife, who suffered on his behalf so he could stay in learning. She's the the saint, 
as we all know, came back years later when she was older with 24,000 Almina. But meanwhile, she's the one who, like we say today, supported my business and learning. Um, and that's a good shot too. But maybe this year I was thinking, maybe it was due to the fact Rabbi Kiva would not be the one to come up with the Koshi Ashibud uh, uh, Mahalach or the Rebuch Lusi Mahalach, especially the Koshi Ashibud, because Rabbi Kiva himself was descended from Gerim, and not so far away, his grandparents, I think, were not Jewish. So he didn't connect with the pain of the slaves in the way that I said someone in the Holocaust would connect in a way someone in the Holocaust would not would not connect. Uh, in my own family, uh, you know, my father, for example, was in the camps. My father-in-law, Karen's father, was in the United States Army that liberated the concentration camp. Isn't that funny? In the Third Army under General Patton. So they actually liberated the camps. But you want to know something? It's a different experience. Even though he was there, you know, he didn't like to talk about Holocaust things. He didn't want to see Holocaust movies. You know, you know it's an, he was an American. I know myself from experience. You know, people don't want to see the pictures and all the rest of it. And I respect it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I never was like that. Ever since I'm a kid, you know, whatever they showed me from the war, from the starvation, from the bodies and all the rest of it, I could take it. Uh, because I think, it's, you know, it was directly, you know, Ed sent me out somebody, but I'm sorry. But someone not. So I was like this, of course it was horrible, of course it was terrible, in economy, no question about it, and we all, you know, uh, bemoan the terrible things that happened to Claudius Thrall during the Second World War, but you're detached, you understand? And a Seder is supposed to be something, you're supposed to be momish, uh, you know, feel that you're there, you understand? Which means you have to be passionate about it. Chayvon learns Atzma isn't a din like a brisker. Any mukhun zum lakai mitzvah, you know. Chayvon learns Atzma gives Mizraim. You have to get into it and you have to feel it. If you can't, you can't. But if but but you but you have to find, at least it seems to me, those parts of the story with which you can get intensely identified. You see, and you know everybody's different. So some people get intensely identified with the shibut. Some people get intensely identified with what I was talking about before how the Jews became assimilated in Egypt and all the rest of it. I got a lot of emails about that. Some people get intensely identified with the Malchamovis and the Makas uh, Bechoris and all that kind of stuff, you know, down with the Gaiman and all that. Each one has to find what he or she can uh, feel, identi- uh, you know, tough about. And not just be politically correct, because as the Gemara says, the Shem doesn't want Khanifa. He wants for the real. And so... Uh, you know, you got you got to find something in, in in the seder that people are looking for, which is why, if I do this podcast or somebody writes another agora, people are looking for a vart that they can use that will ring in their family. There could be a vart that'll work in one family and completely fold like a lead balloon in another family. And so here we have, in my opinion, a subject: what could people get into? Was the story of the Shib Mitzrayim and all the horrors that associated was that something? that people would find a turn-on in the sense of connecting them viscerally with the story that you'd see from Mitzrayim and the Shiv Mitzrayim, or, or not, right? And would they say, I, this is a story I'd, I can't get into. If I sit like this all night, I'll get, uh, you know, depressed and all the rest of it. And instead, I'd rather talk about, uh, you know, the good stuff. Like I said before, the the, the Nisim, the Chachosos Alayla, 
and the carbon Pesach, and the Dalma and the Mashkov, and all that kind of business. Okay? So it's just interesting to me that Rav and Shmuel, who came from uh, uh, Shmuel, I think was a Kohen, if I'm not mistaken, and Rav and Shmuel, which is interesting, you know, Rav and Shmuel would suggest, Rav would say Koshi Ashibud, I think it was Rav came from Yehuda, I think from the royal family. Uh, Shmuel, I think, was a coin. He said, Rebbe Echlusio. And Rebbe Kiva said, no, the Nashim Tzikonius. Because that's something he could connect with. You understand? Those, he, you know, he, he, he could see this. <laughs> now, this is leading me, because I'm hit into history, to speculate even more, because um, consider the following. Uh, Rebbe Gamliel, who says you have to talk about the Mora by Moros Charyehem, was the son of one of the first of Asari Gamalchus. Ragamliel is Ragamliel of Yavna. His father, Shimon Gamliel, was one of the ten people killed by the Romans. But I think everybody's aware that the Asurig Malchus is a little bit of a myth in the sense that they all were killed by the Romans, but not at the same time, sometimes decades apart. So indeed, our hero, Rabbi Kiva, as we all know, is from the Asurig Malchus, probably the most famous of the Asurig Malchus, killed by the Romans. But Rabbi Kiva was killed after the Barcoch Rebellion. So Shimon Gamliel was killed by the Romans in the time of Titus, of Titus. He was perished in the siege of Jerusalem in the year 70. That's who Shema Gamliel is. Um, and when we hear the story, they ripped the skin off his head or whatever it was over there. You know, that's was, that happened in the time of Titus. Okay? Rabbi Akiva, on the other hand, was by Hadrian, you know, uh, 60 years later. Uh, 65 years later, actually, which is a long time. Akiva was an old man. After the Barcoch Rebellion. After the Rakoch Rebellion, this the Seder Shal Pesach that we read the Haggadah was actually composed in the layer that we have it in between, right? I mean, the story of Meister Belezer Rakiva, 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 and all the rest of it, and the story of Gamliel happens post Chorban uh, Beis Hamikdash, pre Rakoch Rebellion. That's how it works out. Okay, As a matter of fact, some even suggest. I don't hold from it. Ruben Margolis and his Zagot, I remember, said that, you know, they were talking in Sisi Margolis a lot. They were talking about the Barcoch Rebellion. I think it's a little, you know, he's a big Zionist. He liked to put a nationalistic word in there. It's okay with me, but I, 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 don't, I don't think that's correct. But be that as it may, you have, um, have Rabbi Gamil, who only was not killed by the Romans. So he basically saw his parents killed. The only reason he wasn't killed by the Romans is because Yochan and Zakai pleaded with Vespasian, spare the family of the Nasi. You know the story of Kamsa by Kamsa like I do. And Yochan and, and Zakai got out of the siege and he was taken to see Aspasionis and he asked him for three things. He asked him, Tainli get me a doctor for Absaduk to, to cure his uh, not eating and save the family of the Nasi, which means don't kill Ramagamil. That's how Rabbi Gamliel became Rabbi Gamliel Biyavne. So he was a person who said like this, the Seder has to include Vayimaros Chayim because he himself was, quote-unquote, a Holocaust survivor, if you want to see, put it that way. His parents were killed by the Romans, and he, he was there by the Korban. Rabbi Akiva, now this is the irony, was not killed in the year 70. He must have been with Yochum and Zakin, those guys. You know, uh, he wasn't in the siege of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, he, he wasn't. And, uh, you know, he was in some other place, some other area. Now, he did, therefore, 
he doesn't, he's, he's not so sensitive to the Koshi Ashibut. But on the other hand, and listen closely, he was sensitive to the Nashim Tzikonios. So if he became convinced, and he was a, you know, a Tana among the Tanaim, the greatest of the Tanaim, that it was a Zechus of the Nashim Tzikonios, and not other things, that got the end of the Golos Mitzrayim, so Rabbi Kiva, for perfectly understandable reasons, was looking, going crazy, looking for an end of the Golos Edom. Because look what the Romans did to us. He's in the Golos Edom. And, if he, and he said, in his narrative, that what got the Jews out of Golos Mitzrayim was the Nashim Tzikonios. And he was married to one of the Nashim Tzikonios. So that means he saw, in his generation, there were women like his wife. She wasn't the only one. You read a Victor Miller, for example, you know, Torah Nation, he says there were lots of people like that. It was an unbelievable door. You know, that's the from interpretation. What's it called? You know, that's his, that's Halevi, you know, that's the Doris Rishonim. So he had in his time Nashim Tzikonios. Libi Amrali, at least this year, that may be what led him to say that Bar is the Mashiach, and we are taking this, we are taking the Romans, we're going to get out of the Gaulus Edom. And we're going to have Mashiach time now, because we do have Nostrum Tzikonios in our generation. And the power of the Jewish woman is unbelievable, and therefore, you know, uh, it could cause the end of the Rome. Now, unfortunately, he was wrong. But it's ironic that he didn't see the Koshi Yeshibut in the, in the uh, Pesach Seder, but he did, you know, in, in his analysis of the, uh, you know, Yitzhiz uh, Mitzrayim, the Shibut Mitzrayim, but he did see the Nashim Tzikonios and apply it to his time where Rabbi Gamliel wasn't like that at all. Rabbi Gamliel is the one who says, you have to have all three in there. And he, taking from his personal perspective and his um, experience, I'll say it again, his father was horribly killed by the Romans. Uh, he says it was the Kosh, he says it was the, the Mara. You understand? That the Mar is an inker part of the Seder. Or in his Seder, he talked about the bitterness of the uh the the you know the the, the times the Jews had in Mitzrayim, which probably to him, you know, he said, and we still have this bitterness today. You understand? We still have this bitterness today, because they're under the doggone Romans. I think this is this is what came to me this year. Um I just want to share very briefly, uh Something I did another year. I don't think I mentioned it here in the podcast, but I had it from a couple years ago, and I think it's very. Uh, uh, and oh, by the way, there was another point. Is you know I I saw in the Barbell also this year I'm into the Barbell. What can I do? Shoot me, you know. Uh, you know it says the Jews are four hundred thirty years. Moshe ben Yisrael shiurim shemuzayim shloshim shana Barbell made shana. So why four thirty? I mean uh, the Brisbane of his army said four hundred, right? Where do you get the forty? So the Barbanel says that the extra 30 years was an add-on because they sinned in Egypt. They went to the 49 levels of Tumul. So it was like, a, you, might, you might say, an interest payment. You understand? 400 years plus an extra 30 as a punishment for um, sinking low in Egypt. Now, mind you, they never did spend the 430 years in Egypt, but instead God backdated it, you know, to the Brisbane of Assarm. But that's because they cried out to Hashem, they say, we can't take anymore by Yonchum and Yisrael, Menavod of and so forth and so on. That's how the Barbanel 
uh, you know, says if they hadn't cried out to Hashem, they would have been there not for 400, but for 430 mamish. Okay? I think that this is the meaning when we read the Haggadah in the second half and you start getting into Darshan and the Pasuk line by line and it says, and you know, that is, that, you know, one is the, uh, the precious Terecheretz and one is the Bonim and one is the Lachatz. Those are the three tortures. Uh, precious Terecheretz knows he separated the husbands and wives. The Bonim, the killing of the children. The Lachatz can mean a lot of different things, but let's say it means the crowding over quarters. You know, like in the concentration camps or something like that. And the idea would be, what do you mean Hashem saw this and Hashem saw that? Either you could play it this way. Hashem said, when he heard this, they suffered enough for the crimes of idolatry. He knows, yes, they assimilated all the rest of it, but what they're being subjected to, <laughs> they, they paid the price for that. Or you could say, Hashem blamed their sins on their terrible oppression. He said, the reason they're sinking into the Memtesh Sharitoma is because they're being subjected to horrible stuff, to the precious Terechers, to the Banim and the Lachats. And uh, in that case, it, the, the, the quote-unquote, the extra 30 years, you know, along with everything else, went away because they because the terrible suffering that they had from the Shibud. Right? This would be the part that, they, you know, they wouldn't have in the Bnei Brak Seder, but they would have in the uh, Rabbi Gamaliel Seder, so to speak. Uh, when I meant to say the other thing was from last year, no, a couple years ago. This is cute, and uh, you know this is something you can take to your seder. You know there are three speeches in Parshas Bo. Um, doing this by heart. First, what we read in the in the in the parsha the other day. And then uh, you know, so you have the instructions for the Karm Pesach. That's speech number one. And then speech number two. The Moshe tells the Zekenim the basic laws of the Karm Pesach, um, which I mentioned the other day where he says about the Hesop and all the rest of it. And then you have the third speech after that, I believe it's only over there. I hope I'm not wrong. I believe only over there is the, is the rule not, about not breaking the bones. And it's called Ben which is kind of interesting. So I'm looking at my notes. Uh, Rashi says that uh, it's out of order. That, uh, you know, the, this business of is um, on Ere Pesach. So even though it's coming after Mishchu and all the it's coming after you look it up yourself in Parshish above your interest, you'll see. It's out of order. But nevertheless, that's the way it is. Um, but you know what I mean? In other words, it was two weeks after the first uh, uh, prophecy. The Chodesh Hazelachem. But the Aparbanel, that's the reason I want to mention it, says, no, it's not out of order. So the way you read it is like this. Um, Hashem tells them, go take a Karm Pesach. That's a Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And then Moshe tells the elders, Mishka Chulachem Tzon. That's, uh, you know, after Chodesh Nisan, whenever that is. And then, 
comes Vahiba Chatsi Alayla and Bnei Yisrael Yotzim beyond, you know, many of Vayisro Bnei Yisrael Miramse Sukosa, etc., etc., etc. In other words, then comes the actual event of the Exodus from Egypt with the with the with the uh, plague of the firstborn, and then Vayem Hashem Al Moshe Kol Ben Nechalayochu so the Barbanel says after the Seder, and that was on the 15th of Nisan. Okay? So what does that mean? So it's very, very interesting to me. Because basically, if you go with the with the Barbanel's Mahalach, now the Halacha doesn't fall that way, but it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter at all. If you go with the Barbanel's Mahalach, that this is what you call a, uh, like in business or something, when they have an event, and what do they call it? An after event appraisal? You know what I mean? No, they say, okay, let's look how we, let, let's say you're a caterer. Okay, how do we run this affair? One went right, and what went wrong, and how do we improve this next year, and so forth. And according to Barbanel, Hashem was telling him to learn from the mistakes of last night in order to improve the Siddharm in the future. So from now on, I don't want to see any unfirm people, you know, Either you take it literally, no gaim, or you or you take it this nakar libo. I don't want to see un, any unbelievers in the future. So that would imply that at the first seder, there are plenty of people who were there who were skeptics, right? There are plenty of people who were skeptics, and from now on, I don't want Pesach to be for skeptics. And better yet, etzim losishrubo. That means the first seder, they frest, they broke the bones open, and they frest like pigs. You understand? And that's not a nice way. Therefore, from now on, it's not Derecheris. The first time they had the Seder, all right, they were starving, whatever it is. They, they had no manners, as we would say today. They had no manners. But from now on, you have Derecheris, you have to have manners. This is the shot in the Sefer HaChinuch, right? Why is it Etzim Losish Rubo? What's the reason for that? Because a rich person doesn't act that way. You know saying? You don't break open the bones and this and that, suck out the marrow and all the rest of it. That's for poor people. A rich person says, I have my meal, and I leave the bones like that. Same reason the Sefer Echinuch says, why can't you, why does it have to be um, roasted? All right, you ever see the Sefer Echinuch in that? Why does it have to be roasted? It's a derecheris. Why is derecheris? Consider well. Now, we live in America in such luxury. We live in the age of the Ami magazine and, <laughs> and the Mishpacha and the millionaire ads for the, for the gigantic steak at the Super Pesach Hotel, which is $50,000 a day per person. But our ancestors weren't like that. And so, in a, in a poor family, you never roast anything. How often, this is Sefer Echinich, not me, how, does it, how often does a poor family get meat, flesh? Not often. You know what I'm saying? It costs money. Therefore, usually it's vegetables. It's very simple fare, you know? And let's say you're the mother, the housekeeper. The, you know, raising a family. Long ago, you stretch, as the expression goes, you stretch your penny. There were no giveaways in those days. And so, mother has three, four, five, six, seven children in the house, and she has to make three meals a day. She's got to make it last. So, on the rare occasion, Shabbos, whatever, when a mother, or, or, or any poor family around the world, if you ever get a piece of flesh, you ever get a piece of meat, what is the most economical way the intelligent, economical woman housekeeper, you know, handles that meat. You put it in a stew and you mix it with other things to make it go as far as it can go in terms of quantity so more people can eat it. 
You get it? You want to have a whole thing, you know, just on, uh, just for one person. It's a waste. And definitely, definitely, God forbid, you never would roast it. Because when you roast it, it drips off the fat. And that's an acre part of the food. You understand? I'll say it again. They don't get meat so often. And so roasting is like unbelievable waste, unbelievable luxury. You never do that. the You're supposed to show yourself like Derek Harris, like your B'nai Malachan. And that's a night where you have, what's the expression? Conspicuous waste. Conspicuous consumption. It has to be Tzli'esh. Right? Because you have to show tonight we're classy. You see? So if you're classy, add some Losish Rubo. All I'm saying is it's a different way, in a very interesting way, if you follow Barbanel to say it was a po what's the expression in English? A post game uh you know, appraisal or something like that. Uh because that's what it was. It was the day after the first Seder. These are just a few thoughts. Um once again I want to thank uh, the Glock family, I hope they'll have a good time in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, we'll see today's Thursday. Maybe I'll have a chance to do a little bit more or not this week. I, I, if, if, if I have time, if the opportunity presents itself, then we'll talk a little bit more about the Seder. With that, I wish you a good week.